Hebrews this morning, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're looking at verses 26 to 31. So if you were able to stand for reading God's Word, we're going to read verses 26 to 31, and we'll pray and we'll get started. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, for with he was sanctified and holy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall to the hands of the living God. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for our church. Thank you for all those that are here this morning. Lord, we thank you how you're providing for our church. You're paying our bills and you're giving us what we need there, Lord. And thank you for this team that's coming for BBS, Lord. And we're thankful and pray that you'll bless that. And thank you for how you're, you're taking care of us, Lord. Be with us this morning to study your word. Lord, please be with me. Please flow, flow your message through me, Lord. Please get me out of the way. Help me all about you this morning. Be what you want us to have this morning, Lord. And guide my words and guide my thoughts, Lord. And help me all about you. Help this message be from you, Lord. Pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. The title of our, our message this morning is The Only Options Christ or Judgment. The Only Options Christ or Judgment. To speak about God's terrifying future is not pleasant, but necessary since the Bible clearly teaches that. That terrifying future is a reality for a lot of people. Uh, although some Christian leaders, teachers, even whole religions will deny the doctrine of hell, we need to remember that Jesus spoke more about the terrors of hell than anyone else in the Bible. So we cannot claim to follow Christ and at the same time reject the doctrine of eternal punishment in hell. Although Jonathan Edwards based his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, on a verse from Deuteronomy, he got the title from verse 31 of our text, and God used that powerful sermon to convert many to Christ. I read the, I read about the account, and it was said that he he didn't thunder it forth, he didn't preach really loud. He said he wrote his messages on a series of little pieces of paper. He would just stand in front of people, and they said he would almost hold the paper to obscure his face. He would stand and just read it, just monotonely read his message, and then he'd put that piece of paper down. Grab the next one and keep reading. And that was that was how he preached these messages. Yet they're very powerful messages. And they're, I mean, we still read them today. I've read this message more than once today. And in that message, he hammers home with frightening force the terrors of impending judgment. But then when you think of the style he gave it, how many people got saved, and they, they, he couldn't even finish the message half the time. He would be running forward and begging to be saved. And it's just amazing how. God worked. It doesn't matter your, to me is encouraging when I read that, it doesn't matter your style, God worked. God, God uses, God uses the, the preacher of his word. But as our text shows, the only options are Christ or judgment. If we reject Christ as God's sacrifice for our sins, we will face this certain terrifying judgment. We either choose Christ and a wonderful, joyous existence, or we reject Christ and face an eternal hell torment. Matthew 25, 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, 
but the righteous into life eternal, everlasting punishment, or life eternal. That's our option. I don't know about you, but I kind of miss little Debbie. I kind of miss her. I'm used to I'm used to competing against that. I'm used to that background. Now that I don't have it, I miss that. So, so we, we miss you, Debbie. So we, we can't wait for you to come back. Yeah. All right. So the Bible teaches that the lost will continue to exist forever in a lake of fire. Mark nine, Revelation fourteen. People need the Lord. People need to be saved. Even those that mock the existence of hell, that mock us, that mistreat us that do all sorts of things contrary to the Bible, people need to get saved. Or they will live for all eternity in hell, in fiery indignation, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them, is what the Bible says. So our first point, when you reject Christ, you reject God's only sacrifice for sins. Look at verses 26 and 27 again. For if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. And the writer of Hebrews says, For if we sin willfully, he is not talking about just our everyday sins we commit, even though we don't want to commit them. We just we commit sins. We're sinners, so we sin. He's not talking about that. Uh, he, he's talking about those sins that we do willfully, intentionally, on purpose. We plan to do we know it's sin when we do it anyway. You know, we sin very often simply because we choose to sin. That's what he's talking about here. But the Bible is clear that if we sin, God graciously forgives and cleanses us when we confess our sin. First John 1, 7, 9, But we walk in the light, and he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 26-27 is talking about willful sin that is perpetually part of us. We had an entire message on that verse a few weeks ago. It is just continually, habitually a sin that we do knowingly in direct contradiction to God's Word. We can think of several examples of that, but there's people just living in, would say, physical sin intentionally, habitually, just living in that physical sin. That's willful sin. There's other ex examples we could use. But Numbers 15.30 says, But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Sinning willfully refers to what Numbers 15.30 calls sins that are committed presumptuously, for which no sacrifice was available. Uh, commentators compare such sins to the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, representing an unpardonable sin of high treason and revolt against God. To go on sinning willfully means deliberately, knowingly to, to go sin, to go on sinning, to go on sinning as a habit or a normal course of our life. Sinning willfully means it's our lifestyle to intentionally live in rebellion against God and His Word. And you think about it, there's a lot of people out there that are doing it. It's their lifestyle to intentionally live in rebellion against God and His Word. That's sitting willfully. The writer saying that to willfully live in sin this way is to trample on the Son of God and to treat His shed blood as worthless. It is a turn from the only way of salvation is to place oneself on the side of God's adversaries. Uh, it all awaits them that willfully choose to live this way is not salvation, Verse 27 says, But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. People that live in willful sin that way intentionally and 
it doesn't, they don't get convicted, they don't work on repenting and getting back right with the Lord, they just live that way, I doubt their salvation. Because the Bible says, salvation is not a way in it, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. The word fearful here is emphatic in the Greek. The writer repeats it in verse 31 as a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, in Hebrews 12, 21, the writer says, And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. The writer of Hebrews wants to hit us with the frightening consequences of turning away from Christ. Frightening. The only options, Christ or judgment. Christ or judgment. Next, you do not want to face the penalties for rejecting Christ. The law of Moses had stiff penalties for disregarding it. The penalty much greater for, for spurning the Son of God who fulfilled the law. Look at verses 28 to 29. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified in unholy thing, and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment those that denied Christ, that walked away from Christ, that, sin, that, will, that willfully sinned in spite of Christ and the offer of the gospel, of how much sore punishment. The only options, again, Christ or judgment. Christ or judgment. If you have not, please choose Christ. If you want to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 17, look at verses 2 to 6. Deuteronomy 17, verses 2 to 6. 2 to 6. Deuteronomy 17. If there be found among you within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord, thy God in transgressing his covenant and hath gone and served other gods and worshiped them either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven which I have not commanded and be told thee and thou hast heard of it and inquired diligently and behold it be true and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in Israel then thou shalt bring forth that man or that woman which hath committed that wicked thing unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and thou shalt stone them with stones till they die. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. In verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews states what every Jew knew very well. If a person brazenly defiled the law of Moses, he or she was to be stoned on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And we see that based on what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 17. In that law, there is no place for mercy, no place for a second chance. The law was applied to all, according to Leviticus 24 and Numbers 15. No place for mercy, no place for a second chance. The law was applied to all. The writer of Hebrews has just shown us, or as we've been studying the book of Hebrews, he has shown us that Jesus is greater than Moses in Hebrews chapter 3. That Jesus is, is, the, is a superior priest to the Levitical priests. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 7. That Jesus inaugurated the new covenant, which is better than the old. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 8. 
And we saw that Jesus is the better sacrifice in Hebrews chapter 9. So the author is saying, in effect, in light of the superiority of Jesus to Moses, in light of the severity of punishment under Moses, what do you think will happen to the person who deliberately rejects Christ? What do you think will happen? The fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Fearful. You think about it all. That verse is so true. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now look at verses 28 and 29 again. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as a holy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? How much more sore? The writer of Hebrews brings three indictments against such deliberate Christ rejectors. Indictment number one, they have trodden under the foot the Son of God, verse 29. To trodden under something underfoot basically means to trample it. I, I think of a, someone taking the American flag and just stomping on it and trampling it. It is to treat something as completely worthless. The use of the title Son of God seems to indicate that the, this form of apostasy viewed it involves a scornful denial of the deity of Christ and his word and his truth and, and how we are to live according to that. It's just trampling that underfoot. It means repudiating all that the author has argued for ten chapters on the supremacy of Christ, the superiority of Jesus Christ, who is God's final word for us. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's nature. And the Bible tells us he upholds all things by the word of his power. To treat this exalted Son of God like something you'd trample under your feet is an indescribably horrific sin. Horrible thing to do. And the writer here was saying those that live in willful sin, that's basically what they are doing. Trampling under the foot. They're rejecting Christ. Indictment number two. They have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified in a holy thing. Verse 29. That is incredible, that statement. Counted the blood of the covenant. Jesus Christ's blood wherewith he was sanctified in a holy thing. The first charge, trashed the person of Christ, trampled him under the, your feet. This one despises his work on the cross and his blood. To be sanctified here is that outward sense of being set apart with with God's people through public worship and an outward confession of Christ. To count this sanctification as an unholy thing means literally to treat it as common. That's nothing. That's nothing. Faith in Christ, that's nothing. What Jesus did for me, that's nothing. Nothing. That's what they're doing. It may refer to even partaking of communion, even though your faith was not genuine. So profaning the cup representing the blood of the covenant. Or it could mean viewing the death of Jesus as a very common, ordinary thing. Uh, this would be to discount the vicarious, substitutionary significance of Christ's death. Instead, possibly view his death as, oh, that, that was a noble tragedy. He was a good man. But you're denying the blood of Christ. You're denying the holiness of his blood. You're denying the, the uniqueness, the vicarious sacrifice of his blood. You're denying his deity, what he did for us, how God's Son died for us. That's indictment number two. Indictment number three. They had insulted the spirit of grace, have done despite to the spirit of grace. Now this is interesting. This is the only time 
The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace in the Bible. The Holy Spirit imparts God's unmerited favor to us through the sacrifice of God's own Son. And that phrase shows that the writer of Hebrews viewed the Holy Spirit as a person, not just an influence. Uh, this is similar to the unpardonable blasphemy against the Spirit of which Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 12. For a guilty sinner to spit in God's face when his Spirit offers a free pardon, made possible through the death of God's Son, it's just Uh, I got this uh, illustration uh, from a different author, but I, I thought, thought he, he illustrated it very well, so I'm going to read this to you. Picture a man lying in a gutter in rags, covered with sores, hungry and homeless. He is there because of his own sinful choices. A kind, generous man offers to take this man to the hospital, pay all of his bills, and then to bequeath him all that he would ever need in life. He could have a comfortable home, all the food he could eat, all of his needs met, every comfort he could dream of. But the ungrateful wretch in the gutter spits in the man's face, curses at him, then tells others that the man's offer was worthless. That would not be as bad as insulting the Spirit of grace by turning your back on the free pardon he offers to all. The person who spurns God's grace in Christ deserves far greater punishment than physical death by stoning. Hard truth. We all have people we're thinking of right now that we love. It's in the Bible. Holy Spirit has had us, but that's uncomfortable to preach. So we dare not turn down the Holy Spirit's offer of eternal salvation. We need to listen to that tugging of our heart, tune into the Spirit drawing us to Christ. We need to make sure that we possess. If you're not sure, please make sure you possess. The only options, Christ Christ judgment. Now those with more light that reject Christ will receive far greater punishment. Jesus told Pilate, He that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin, John 19, 11. Judas' sin was greater than Pilate's. The Jews' sins were greater than Pilate's. They were unbelievers. Pilate and Judas and those Jews that said crucify Christ, they were all unbelievers. But they, those that were delivered Christ, Pilate, had the greater sin. Because they had light, especially Judas, they had light and evidence far beyond what Pilate had. And was therefore far more guilty in betraying Christ. Jesus also made it clear that judgment, like guilt, is in proportion to sin. Luke 12, 47-48. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. To whom men have committed much of him, they will ask more. I think of people raised in church no better. Live in willful sin. They shall be beaten with many stripes. Those that weren't raised in church didn't know better, committed those sins. They'll be beaten with few stripes. Our judgment portion, our knowledge, our light that we receive. The teaching of eternal punishment, eternal salvation is not as clear in the Old Testament as it is in the New. The person who sinned under the Old Covenant was guilty and deserving of punishment. Every Jew knew the severity of breaking the Mosaic. Law, if, if such disobedience was affirmed by, by proper witnesses, the penalty was death. But the worst offender in that age cannot compare with the person who has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe grown up in church, that rejects him, rejects his teaching. Such person, sadly, will find themselves in the Judas section of hell during much severer eternal punishment. Far from being more tolerant than sin today, God is less tolerant. 
for men now had immeasurably more light, Acts 17, 30-31. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from dead. We have more light now. The world has more light. Uh, next point, our final point. God's judgment is certain, and it is terrifying. Look at verses 30 to 31. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now this message, the topic of this message is heavy. It's hard truth. And I, I finished getting this message together, and I realized it's a lot shorter than my normal message. I think because of the topic, I couldn't go on longer. Just such a heavy, such hard to, hard to contemplate. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But for the one who turns his back in God's grace, there is nothing left that God can offer or do for him. Only judgment remains. We know that God's judgment is as certain as his word. It will be terrifying, not just terrifying, but eternally terrifying. Imagine that. Eternally terrified and torments. Even though he has been issuing strong warnings to the, the writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews has all along included himself with his readers. By using a first person plural, he says, Let us, chapter 10, 22, 23, 24. He says, we, in verses 26 and 30, he's saying this applies to everybody. Here he says, for we know him who hath said, and then he cites two references from the Song of Moses found in Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32, 35 to 36, which says, to me, this is God speaking, belongeth vengeance. So to me, to God, belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand. The things that shall come upon them make haste. The Lord shall judge his people. The writer of Hebrews is saying that this passage in Deuteronomy establishes God's sole right to take vengeance. But here the emphasis on the fact that those who wrong such a being as God have no chance of escape. You may wrong another person and somehow manage to escape their vengeance, but God will repay. The Lord shall judge his people. Rejecting Christ, rejecting the spirit of grace, tugging at your heart for repentance and salvation, that rebellion against God working in your heart to draw you closer to him, to possess eternal salvation, that only comes by faith through the grace of God, uh, by the death, burial, and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ, by, by that repeated rebellion and rebelliousness against that, that rejection of God's offer of salvation. These rejectors have put themselves on the side of God's adversaries. Hebrews 10.27, But a certain fearful looking for of judgment, fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. These rejectors of Christ will not escape. Uh, they will not escape. Leaving the fellowship and repudiating the sacrifice of Christ does not remove them from judgment, but rather places them squarely in line for judgment. As one author said, so far from escaping from God, the apostate falls into the hands of the living God. He abandons God as his Savior, only to meet him as his judge, or abandons God as his potential Savior, only to meet him as his judge. The writer of Hebrews concludes a fearful thing to fall to the hands of the living God. The writer of Hebrews is trying 
quite literally to scare them. Scare them. Scare them so they will not go to hell. He's trying to wake them up to the reality of eternal torment, punishment. He is yelling fire as they are in that burning building. He is trying to wake them up to the reality of their situation. He is doing what Jude speaks of. He is trying to save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, Jude verse 23. Some say with fear, pull them out of the fire. Apostle John, Revelation chapter 6, describes the terror of God's judgment as it overtakes kings and commanders, the rich and the poor. After a great earthquake, the sun turns black and the moon turns blood red. The stars fall to the earth, the sky splits apart, mountains and islands move out of their places. Hiding in caves among the rocks of the mountains, everyone cries out to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? Revelation 6, 7. The only option is Christ. So let's wrap this up. Sometimes people say, I don't believe in a God of judgment. My God is a God of love. People that subscribe, subscribe or believe, I can't say the word, believe that view, their God, little g, is not the living God himself that's revealed himself through his word. That's not my God. Now, my God is a God of judgment and love. He's a God of holiness and grace. In one of the earliest records of God's revelation of himself, he said to Moses, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And I, I would say most of the world would prefer that verse to end right there. Stop right there. We have to keep in mind our God is a thrice holy God. And that passage continues, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and upon the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation, that by no means will clear the guilty. Not clear the guilty. If you're guilty, you either pay for that yourself for eternity, or you accept that payment made on your behalf by Jesus Christ. Either way, your sin will be paid for. You will try to pay for it for all eternity, never pay for it, or you can accept the payment made on your behalf by Jesus Christ. Some may protest, but but the God, that's the God of the Old Testament. He, that, that's him. I believe in Jesus. Jesus is always gentle and kind. How uninformed or, or intentionally ignorant of Jesus that person would be. In fact, Jesus spoke more often about the terrors of hell than anyone else. And did not also Jesus take a whip and drive people out of the temple? Flip over some tables? Jesus called hell a place where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Mark 9, 48, he said that the punishment of one who causes one of his little ones to stumble would be far worse than if he had a millstone hung around his neck and was cast into the sea, Mark chapter 9. These people that are pushing child mutilation in our society. Wickedness. Wicked, demonic wickedness. I fear for what eternity faces them. He said it would be better to have a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of his little ones to stumble. Can you imagine the eternity they face? Jesus described hell as a place of outer darkness 
for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 8. He said that it's better to pluck out your eye or cut off your hand than for your whole body to go to hell, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus described the rich man in hell as being in agony and flames, Luke 16. He further described those flames as everlasting fire. Also, our text is in the New Testament. And the very argument is that judgment will be more severe for rejecting the Son of God than what it was in the Old Testament. The God of both Testaments is the same God who is rich in mercy and love towards all who repent of their sins and trust in Christ. But he is terrified in his judgment against those who reject his Son, who is the only sacrifice for sins. Note carefully who is in danger of committing this terrible sin of turning away from Christ. It is those who need the truth. You know, associated with God's people, it's not only those who are notorious sinners. It is those who think, I'm living a good life. I live like a good Christian. I go to church. I give my offering each week. I'm a good person. In other words, it's a church-going religious person who's not actually saved that's in danger of that as well as the notorious sinners. The only options are Christ or judgment reject Christ, if you hear the gospel, being associated with God's people, you will fall into the hands of the living God, and it will be an eternally terrifying ordeal. If you're living in sin, intentionally, willfully living in blatant sin, that you know what you said. You need to check your salvation.